Letter six, part one of A Lady's Life in the Rocky Mountains. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Lady's Life in the Rocky Mountains by Isabella L. Bird. Part one of Letter six. Lower Canyon, September twenty fifth. This is another world. My entrance upon it was signalized in this fashion. Chalmers offered me a bronco mare, for a reasonable sum, and though she was a shifty, half-broken young thing, I came over here on her to try her, when, just as I was going away, she took it into her head to scare and buck, and when I touched her with my foot, she leaped over a heap of timber, and the girth gave way. AND THE ONLOOKERS TELL ME THAT WHILE SHE JUMPED, I FELL OVER HER TAIL FROM A GOOD HEIGHT UPON THE HARD GRAVEL, RECEIVING A PARTING KICK ON MY KNEE. THEY COULD HARDLY BELIEVE THAT NO BONES WERE BROKEN. THE FLESH OF MY LEFT ARM LOOKS CRUSHED INTO A JELLY, BUT COLD-WATER DRESSINGS WILL SOON BRING IT RIGHT, AND A CUT ON MY BACK BLED PROFUSELY, AND THE BLEEDING, WITH MANY BRUISES AND THE GENERAL SHAKE, HAVE MADE ME FEEL WEAK but circumstances do not admit of making a fuss, and I really think that the rents in my riding-dress will prove the most important part of the accident. The surroundings here are pleasing. The log cabin, on the top of which a room with a steep ornamental Swiss roof has been built, is in a valley close to a clear, rushing river, which emerges a little higher up from an inaccessible chasm of great sublimity. One side of the valley is formed by cliffs and terraces of porphyry, as red as the reddest new brick, and at sunset blazing into vermilion. Through rifts in the nearer ranges there are glimpses of pine-clothed peaks, which, towards twilight, pass through every shade of purple and violet. The sky and the earth combine to form a wonderland every evening, such rich, velvety colouring in crimson and violet such an orange, green, and vermilion sky, such scarlet and emerald clouds, such an extraordinary dryness and purity of atmosphere, and then the glorious afterglow, which seems to blend earth and heaven. For color, the Rocky Mountains beat all I have seen. The air has been cold, but the sun bright and hot during the last few days. The story of my host is a story of misfortune, it indicates who should not come to Colorado. He and his wife are under thirty-five, the son of a London physician in a large practice, with a liberal education in the largest sense of the word, unusual culture and accomplishments, and the partner of a physician in good practice in the second city in England. He showed symptoms which threatened pulmonary disease. In an evil hour he heard of Colorado, with its unrivaled climate— boundless resources, and so on, and fascinated not only by these material advantages, but by the notion of being able to found or reform society on advanced social theories of his own, he became an immigrant. Mrs. Hughes is one of the most charming and lovable women I have ever seen, and their marriage is an ideal one. Both are fitted to shine in any society, but neither had the slightest knowledge of domestic and farming details. Dr. H. did not know how to saddle or harness a horse. Mrs. H. did not know whether you should put an egg into cold or hot water when you meant to boil it. They arrived at Longmount, bought up this claim, 
rather for the beauty of the scenery than for any substantial advantages, were cheated in land, goods, oxen, everything, and to the discredit of the settlers, seemed to be regarded as fair game. Everything has failed with them, and though they rise early and late take rest and eat the bread of carefulness, they hardly keep their heads above water. A young Swiss girl, devoted to them both, works as hard as they do. They have one horse, no wagon, some poultry, and a few cows, but no hired man. It is the hardest and least ideal struggle that I have ever seen made by educated people. They had all their experience to learn, and they have bought it by losses and hardships. That they have learnt so much surprises me. Dr. H. and these two ladies built the upper room and the addition to the house without help. He has cropped the land himself, and has learned the difficult art of milking cows. Mrs. H. makes all the clothes required for a family of six, and her evenings, when the hard day's work is done and she is ready to drop from fatigue, are spent in mending and patching. The day is one long grind, without rest or enjoyment or the pleasure of chance intercourse with cultivated people. The few visitors who have happened in are the thrifty wives of prosperous settlers, full of housewifely pride, whose one object seems to be to make Mrs. H. feel her inferiority to themselves. I wish she did take a more genuine interest in the coming on of the last calf, the prospects of the squash crop, and the yield and price of butter, but though she has learned to make excellent butter and bread, it is all against the grain. The children are delightful. The little boys are refined, courteous, childish gentlemen, with love and tenderness to their parents in all their words and actions. Never a rough or harsh word is heard within the house. But the atmosphere of struggles and difficulties has already told on these infants. They consider their mother in all things— going without butter when they think the stock is low, bringing in wood and water too heavy for them to carry, anxiously speculating on the winter prospects and the crops, yet withal the most childlike and innocent of children. Beginning of footnote. The story is ended now. A few months after my visit, Mrs. H. died a few days after her confinement, and was buried on the bleak hillside leaving her husband with five children under six years old, and Dr. H. is a prosperous man on one of the sunniest islands of the Pacific, with a devoted Swiss friend as his second wife. End of footnote. One of the most painful things in the western states and territories is the extinction of childhood. I have never seen any children, only debased imitations of men and women, cankered by greed and selfishness, and asserting and gaining complete independence of their parents at ten years old. The atmosphere in which they are brought up is one of greed, godlessness, and frequently of profanity. Consequently, these sweet things seem like flowers in a desert. Except for love, which here, as everywhere, raises life into the ideal, this is a wretched existence. The poor crops have been destroyed by grasshoppers over and over again, and that talent deified here under the name of smartness has taken advantage of Dr. H. in all bargains, leaving him with little except food for his children. 
Experience has been dearly bought in all ways, and this instance of failure might be a useful warning to professional men, without agricultural experience, not to come and try to make a living by farming in California. My time here has passed very delightfully, in spite of my regret and anxiety for this interesting family. I should like to stay longer, were it not that they have given up to me their straw bed, and Mrs. H. and her baby, a wizened, fretful child, sleep on the floor in my room, and Dr. H. on the floor downstairs, and the nights are frosty and chill. Work is the order of their day, and of mine, and at night, when the children are in bed, we three ladies patch the clothes and make shirts, and Dr. H. reads Tennyson's poems or we speak tenderly of that world of culture and noble deeds which seem here the land very far off. Or Mrs. H. lays aside her work for a few minutes and reads some favorite passage of prose or poetry, as I have seldom heard either read before, with a voice of large compass and exquisite tone, quick to interpret every shade of the author's meaning, and soft, speaking eyes, moist with feeling and sympathy. These are our halcyon hours, when we forget the needs of the morrow, and that men still buy, sell, cheat, and strive for gold, and that we are in the Rocky Mountains, and that it is near midnight. But morning comes hot and tiresome, and the never-ending work is oppressive, and Dr. H. comes in from the field two or three times in the day, dizzy and faint, and they condole with each other and I feel that the Colorado settler needs to be made of sterner stuff, and to possess more adaptability. Today has been a very pleasant day for me, though I have only once sat down since 9 a.m., and it is now 5 p.m. I plotted that the devoted Swiss girl should go to the nearest settlement with two of the children for the day in a neighbor's wagon, and that Dr. and Mrs. H. should get an afternoon of rest and sleep upstairs while I undertook to do the work and make something of a cleaning. I had a large wash of my own, having been hindered last week by my bad arm, but a clothes-ringer, which screws on to the side of the tub, is a great assistance, and by folding the clothes before passing them through it, I make it serve instead of mangle and iron. After baking the bread and thoroughly cleaning the churn and pails, I began upon the tins and pans, the cleaning of which had fallen into arrears, and was hard at work, very greasy and grimy, when a man came in to know where to ford the river with his ox-team, and as I was showing him, he looked pityingly at me, saying, "'Be you the new hired girl? Bless me, you're awful small!' Yesterday we saved three quarts of tomatoes for winter use, and about two tons of squash and pumpkin for the cattle, two of the former weighing a hundred forty pounds." I pulled nearly a quarter of an anchor of maize, and it was a scanty crop, and the husks were poorly filled. I much prefer field work to the scouring of greasy pans and to the wash-tub, and both to either sewing or riding. This is not Arcadia. Smartness, which consists in overreaching your neighbor in every fashion which is not illegal, is the quality which is held in the greatest repute, and mammon is the divinity. From a generation brought up to worship the one and admire the other, little can be hoped. In districts distant as this is from church ordinances, there are three ways in which Sunday is spent. One, to make it a day for visiting, hunting, and fishing. Another, to spend it in sleeping and abstinence from work. And the third, to 
continue all the usual occupations. Consequently, harvesting and felling and hauling timber are to be seen in progress. Last Sunday a man came here and put up a door, and said he didn't believe in the Bible or in God, and he wasn't going to sacrifice his children's bread to old-fashioned prejudices. There is a manifest indifference to the higher obligations of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. But in the main, the settlers are steady. There are few flagrant breaches of morals. Industry is the rule. Life and property are far safer than in England or Scotland, and the law of universal respect to women is still in full force. The days are now brilliant, and the nights sharply frosty. People are preparing for the winter. The tourists from the east are trooping into Denver, and the surveying parties are coming down from the mountains. Snow has fallen on the higher ranges, and my hopes of getting to Estes Park are down at zero. Longmount, September 25th Yesterday was perfect. The sun was brilliant, and the air cool and bracing. I felt better, and after a hard stay work and an evening stroll with my friends in the glorious afterglow, I went to bed cheerful and hopeful as to the climate and its effect on my health. This morning I awoke with a sensation of extreme lassitude, and on going out, instead of the delicious atmosphere of yesterday, I found intolerable, suffocating heat, a blazing, not brilliant, sun, and a sirocco like a Victorian hot wind. Neuralgia, inflamed eyes, and a sense of extreme prostration followed, and my acclimatized hosts were somewhat similarly affected. The sparkle, the crystalline atmosphere, and the glory of color of yesterday had all vanished. We had borrowed a wagon, but Dr. H.'s strong but lazy horse and a feeble hired one made a poor span, and though the distance here is only twenty-two miles over level prairie, our tired animal, and losing the way three times, have kept us eight and a half hours in the broiling sun. All notions of locality fail me on the prairie, and Dr. H. was not much better. We took wrong tracks, got entangled among the fences, plunged through the deep mud of irrigation ditches, and were despondent. It was a miserable drive, sitting on a heap of fodder under the angry sun, Halfway here we camped at a river, now only a series of mud-holes, and I fell asleep under the imperfect shade of a cottonwood tree, dreading the thought of waking and jolting painfully along over the dusty prairie in the dust-laden, fierce sirocco under the ferocious sun. We never saw a man or beast the whole day. This is the Chicago colony, and it is said to be prospering, after some preliminary land-swindles. It is as uninviting as Fort Collins. We first came upon dust-colored frame houses set down at intervals on the dusty buff plain, each with its dusty wheat or barley field adjacent, the crop, not the product of the rains of heaven, but of the muddy overflow of irrigating ditch number two. Then comes a road made up of many converging wagon tracks, which stiffen into a wide straggling street, in which glaring frame houses and a few shops stand opposite to each other a two-story house, one of the widest and most glaring, and without a veranda like all the others, is the St. Vrain Hotel, called after the St. Vrain River, out of which the ditch is taken which enables Longmount to exist. Everything was broiling in the heat of the slanting sun, which all day long had been beating on the unshaded wooden rooms. 
The heat within was more sickening than outside, and black flies covered everything, one's face included. We all sat fighting the flies in my bedroom, which was cooler than elsewhere, till a glorious sunset over the rocky range, some ten miles off, compelled us to go out and enjoy it. Then followed supper, western fashion, without tablecloths, and all the unattached men of Longmount came in and fed silently and rapidly. It was a great treat to have tea to drink, as I had not tasted any for a fortnight. The landlord is a jovial, kindly man. I told him how my plans had faded, and how I was reluctantly going on to-morrow to Denver and New York, being unable to get to Estes Park, and he said there might yet be a chance of someone coming in to-night who would be going up. He soon came to my room, and asked definitely what I could do, if I feared cold, if I could rough it, if I could ride horseback and lope. Estes Park and its surroundings are, he says, the most beautiful scenery in Colorado, and it's a real shame, he added, for you not to see it. We had hardly sat down to tea when he came, saying, You're in luck this time. Two young men have just come in, and are going up to-morrow morning. I am rather pleased, and have hired a horse for three days, but I am not very hopeful, for I am almost ill of the smothering heat, and still suffer from my fall, and not having been on horseback since, thirty miles will be a long ride. Then I fear that the accommodation is as rough as Chalmers, and that solitude will be impossible. We have been strolling in the street ever since it grew dark, to get the little air which is moving. End of Letter 6, Part 1